Is that too loud? Can we do any turn this up? Um, yes. All right, you're right. Am I too loud? No, you're good. <clears throat> What's up, and welcome into the lead block. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, my name is Tyler Walters. I'm your host, alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing today? Doing great, man. How about you? Doing well. Uh, coming to you on a rare Tuesday because I forgot to mention Friday that I had a scheduling conflict Sunday, which pushes our schedule back, uh, recording back to Monday. Um, it's all good. <laughs> still got the still get some same stuff, but it's good because a couple things just happened today that I want to talk about, and we'll start uh, with JD Martinez staying with the Red Sox. So, which I didn't think he would. All right, Matthew, I know you're not in on baseball contracts as much as I am. Yep. And this is my guy, JD, my team, Sox. So uh, I thought JD was going to opt out and try to get more money somewhere else, but he's making a team move, and I don't, I. I wonder what the game plan is here behind the scenes. Like, it'll be interesting to see if Mookie Betts stays with the Sox somehow, if they can work in enough money for him. And maybe this is why, I mean, they're already way over the luxury tax, so there's no, like, salary cap in baseball. It's just there's a certain tax threshold, and if you go over that, like, you lose picks in a draft, and, like, you you don't get, like, they try to punish you for going over, like, an invisible uh, salary cap almost. Yeah, yeah. So, which deters teams from spending too much money on players. Um, but who cares? If you get the best players, like, you don't care about those picks. Like, you kind of care about those picks because they can help you get players later, uh, players later. But at the same time, like, if you can sign five players and have a $800 billion salary uh, salary that year, I guarantee <laughs> a World Series, it's worth it. Um, what position does he play on the JD field? JD plays, well, JD's DH mostly, but he, he'll play a little outfield whenever the Sox need him. Uh, so he probably played, I don't even know, maybe 50, 60 games in the outfield this year. Um, maybe not even that much. But he's out there like once a week or something, giving a guy another guy a rest day. Um, comes in for kind of subs in for former Gamecock, great Jackie Bradley Jr. Some oh, days. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jackie will Jackie will play center, and they'll move, you know, one of their other all-star outfielders to center, and J.D. they'll stick J.D. in right, maybe left. Um, and then play a corner outfield spot. Anyway. That was just kind of a kind of a shocker. I didn't. I thought he was going to opt out. I didn't think, think the Sox were going to be able to get him back. Um, so we'll see what happens with Mookie Betts, who is I don't just going to be nearly impossible for. It's going to be real tough for the Red Sox to resign him, which is just going to suck. All right, we'll move on from Sox baseball talk. Just happened um, at five thirty on a Monday. So, breaking news. Yeah, a little breaking news that will already be late tomorrow when this comes out but whatever <laughs> so it's breaking to us um and we'll jump right into saturday here in columbia um uh, the vanderbilt commodores came to town saturday night and south carolina got a much needed win all of them have been much needed this year um <laughs> all four i mean all of most all 12 games are much needed wins if, depending on what you want to do uh on what your expectations are so south carolina wins 24 to 7 against Vanderbilt Vanderbilt in a game that started very differently from the way it progressed throughout the game, I'd say. Um, just some bad penalties on the Vanderbilt's first drive. Yeah. 
um, on a guy we praised a lot, Israel Mukwamu. Um, he's had some kind of, I don't know, just like bonehead mistakes. And yeah. He's kind of like maybe just felt out of, out of character there for a minute, but he locked it in. Yeah. So he had a good rest of the game. Um, J.C. Horn had another great week as well on, in the backfield. But, yeah, so South Carolina gives up two big penalties. He continued Vanderbilt's first drive. Vanderbilt marches down to, to score, and I'm looking at the TV like, Wow, Vanderbilt is gonna. That's ex- that is a hundred percent what I didn't mean to cut you no, off. Go ahead. But yeah, as soon as I saw him march down there, I was like, oh, it's gonna be a long like Carolina's about to play down to the competition once again. It's gonna be another nail biter. But they end up pulling it off. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I was like, well, here we go. This is just the story <laughs> of South Carolina football, and we kind of said it on Friday's show, I believe that you asked me, you know, like about them playing down their the down to the level of their competition. Um, so yeah, I mean if. Clemson played Wofford this weekend. I think South Carolina played Wofford. We had, you know, <laughs> we'd have seen the same thing, like, as far as Vanderbilt. It wouldn't have been, like, Clemson's game against Wofford. Well, they did give up 14 points, but, I mean, they scored 60 or whatever. South yeah. Carolina probably would have won, like, 10 to 7. So, <laughs> it's, it's just uh, just very on-brand, let's say. But they controlled the game from that point for the most part. Now, it wasn't really, like, it felt like I was watching the game, and South Carolina was in control for most of the game, but the, they didn't score and to make it, you know, three scores until very late in the game, sometime late in, the, like, the last like, seven minutes or so. Yeah. To go up 24-7. Um, but start with Brian Edwards' uh, performance Saturday. School record, 14 receptions. Uh, school game record, single game record, 14 receptions, which – Kind of surprised me that was a school record. I mean, that's a lot of catches, but I would have thought um, over the last 15 years here, you've had uh, starting with Sidney Rice yep. um, in the early to mid 2000s and Kenny McKinley. Kenny McKinley is your next guy, RIP. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, and those kind of guys. I mean, Edwards' his name is right up there with, I don't know if it'll, Edwards won't be looked back upon as the same kind of guy yeah. as those three we just listed, but I think. He sh- should be, um, because I think he, I mean he's close in a lot of records, this receiving records that South Carolina has. Has he, if he hasn't beat a couple of the career records now, um, and won't his name go up on the siding where the yeah the it'll go up there somewhere. He's got some career record that uh, he'll, and I can't remember off the top. I of think my it's the leading receptions. In, in yeah, receptions, yeah. yeah. Um, that sounds correct, but uh, fact check that, and then we'll go. You know. Um, Edwards goes for 139 reception yards, one touchdown, 192 all-purpose yards. Had some pretty good returns Saturday. One, I think two of them in a row in the late second quarter, early third quarter, were, were pretty, you know, 10 yards plus. Um, for, for him to be as big as he is and be able to be that effective in the punt return game will probably also help him make an NFL roster. Because most of the time, you know, you just get the 5'10 guys, maybe 5'8 guys out there, like a Tyreek Hill or something to do punt return, kickoff return. But him being six foot three and he's doing it, that's like looking at NFL. He's a pretty big guy. Yeah, yeah. it's like watching, uh, I wouldn't say Sutton. But no, nevertheless, it's not as normal as most people think. And so it's a great, uh, definitely going to be helping him in the NFL. Yeah, so it, we'll look. Producer Brendan is handing me his laptop. Um, Brian Edwards is now only 88 yards shy of Alshon Jeffrey's career receiving uh, yards record. So that Alshon had 3,042, and Edwards is just 88 short of that. So you do the math on that. Um, you know, two. We got three games here left for South Carolina. Um, App State 
A&M and Clemson, um, I would think Edwards, as long as, you know, health permits it, he, he should reach that level. And, granted, we don't see another game like, you know, we saw the South Carolina offense at North Carolina where they throw the ball one time to him and he gets seven yards. Yeah. Um, but the way the game plan has looked the last several weeks, or most of the season, is get the ball to Edwards, So, and especially this week. Um, I think the big thing for Brian Edwards is this, just kind of going back to what you were just saying, is really set a tone for him, uh, for scouts, um, that he can be a guy who takes over a game, and he's proved that before. Um, but, I mean, he was all over the – it was like the Brian Edwards game Saturday, and, and he was really good. Um, Holinsky was very good, 24-31, um, 235 yards, two touchdowns. Accuracy was much, much better, and we've talked over the last few weeks – uh, pretty much since Mizzou, um, every week, Holinsky's had throws that looked really bad. He just couldn't complete kind of intermediate routes and, and short passes even that were sometimes just over a guy's head or way out to the side and, like, like questionable throws and, and things like that. And I think that was maybe him and a lot of it adjusting to SEC speed off the defensive line. Um, Vanderbilt, not quite the... Prowess of the front seven as uh, a Georgia or a Florida, you know, or any of the teams in the West. Um, so that helps a little, but yeah, you you got to get ready. You know, you got App- Appalachian State rolling into town, who did lose last week. Georgia um, Southern, right? To Georgia Southern by two points, I believe. I think so. Um, and but nonetheless, that's going to be a really good team. That's going to be, I would say, a, a, like a better test than Vanderbilt. Um, and you've got a. I mean, you you got to show like the season's almost done. You got to show some signs of improvement, and Holinsky did that Saturday. I also saw Holinsky do one thing. Uh, he ran, I think, for a 10, 15 yard run. I think he looked at yeah, the Tennessee film. Six, 16, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think he looked at the Tennessee film and saw how sometimes like you could have just ran for the first down. So then also he showed off his that's something else he has his arsenal as a quarterback. So that was nice to see. Yeah, I kind of they was that's interesting bringing that up because I remember them bringing that up on the broadcast uh, Saturday night. I cannot remember who called the game, but. Um. Yeah, they they talked about Holinsky as like that was his longest rush or whatever the season, and he hasn't really ran the ball. Um, and he's been more of a quote unquote pocket passer. Yeah, like a guy who's looking downfield, um, which should always be first. You know, look downfield for a quarterback. You, you know, why run the ball for five when you can throw for twenty? Yep. So, um, and but yeah, he did show like signs of like going through his progression and saying, all right. He, that guy's covered, that guy's covered, that guy's covered. I got a hole. Let me take off um, and get a few yards here. And, yeah, I think there were ten spots in Tennessee, like you brought up, where he could have ran the ball um, in certain situations. Instead, he kind of threw, you know, his decision-making looked better this week. Instead of kind of throwing a ball up, tucking it, making a smart decision, kind of run towards the sideline or get a few yards here and there. And, I think a little of that has been maybe, you know, the knee. Yeah. He's struggled. He's been wearing a knee brace since Missouri, so like the third or fourth game of the season. And uh, you want to protect that. So do you take him standing in the pocket and maybe throwing a bad pass here and there over a broken knee? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I I think we're seeing some of that. But it looked to me like if you're going to take off and run it, he trusts his body. So that's good to see. Um, Another – one of the just the biggest things, and I think they talked about it a little in the broadcast uh, Saturday, but I watched this game with a buddy of mine, and 
we were talking the whole game. They they brought Joyner in at questionable spots throughout the game, and I heard uh, Muschamp said, said before the game, you know, we have a play designed for to carry on every drive to get in, whether or not he gets in is kind of up to how the drive works out. I don't – I go back to the old, like, Lou Holtz adage of if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, you know. I don't – to carry on certainly a great athlete, and you can use him in certain situations to better, you know, your chances to win. Um, but I think bringing in a quarterback, like, no matter who that quarterback is, for – two plays out of a drive where you get you have a freshman who just got you know two decent throws and you bring in or gets a first down then you bring in joiner I, I think that's confusing and it doesn't allow Walensky to build momentum but maybe it's something South Carolina thinks could work I don't I think at this point McClendon is trying everything he can to salvage <laughs> his job um, as a play caller but I don't I don't I don't never thought that bringing in a quarterback like in between a drive which we haven't I mean you don't see too often ever is necessarily an answer for quarterback troubles. Yeah, I was sitting there watching the game, and it really throws off the rhythm of Helensky because small things to notice, like, you know, early on against who is that? Charleston saw they were, like, high-fiving. You could tell, like, Helensky was on the sideline, like, all right, let me get back in. Yeah. It is natural, too, because that quarterback, you know, is the one quarterback on the field at a time. And it's like, I'm in a rhythm. Now I got to run off. He could run a play real quick. Then he comes back off. And it's really hard for me to – obviously, he has command of the offense. But it's really hard. Like It's like, okay, let's go through this whole drive. But now I'm having to run off, run back on. So I don't think he likes it either. But like you said, I think McClendon's just trying to put all the cards at this point. Yeah, it's a confusing message I think you've sent to your quarterbacks, uh, both of them, and your team is, all right, well, do you – I think they do trust both of those guys, but or do you trust me or not? Yeah. Like, do you believe that I can make these plays or do you not? So – I mean, you pick a guy, and you go with him. Yeah. And if he's not working out, sub the other guy in. But the thing that's been frustrating to watch for me is the carry-on, they have not opened the whole playbook up to him at any point, or even, like, I don't think we've seen, like, 30% of South Carolina's playbook with, with the carry-on joiner in the backfield. And that's no discredit to him, but uh, there's, it's like that McClendon just doesn't trust him to make the throws that Helensky makes. And the the worst thing I think is, Joiner comes in and ninety nine percent of the time you're telling a defensive coordinator, we're gonna run the football. Yeah. Okay. So now take, a, pretty much every receiver out of it. Yeah, you got your DBs. Like make sure you got your man just in case, but you can focus run. And if we look hard enough, we can figure out which way it's coming. And, and I did see Vanderbilt in one particular play that, uh, once he comes out, Joiner comes in. And I can't remember where this was at in the game. And Joyner gets stopped, or, or the running back uh, got stopped for, like, a two-yard loss. So what's the message you're sending your, your defense is, all right, we're going to run the ball here. But you haven't proven that running the ball with Joyner in is overly successful yeah. to where you can kind of have that cockiness, confidence to come up to the line and say, hey, we're going to run the ball, try to stop us. Yeah, you can't Because stop plenty us. of people have stopped you. Every single time. So I, I, don't, I think that sends a confusing message to the team and certainly the fans. You know, do you, how do you feel about here is this great, both of them great quarterbacks in their own right, but I think Kalinsky's the guy, um, and I think he's the guy you want to I think he can make more throws than a joiner can and from what we've seen, and I, I just think he tends to be the better quarterback. Um, 
But when you pull him off the field for half the drive to let in Joyner, it's it. I don't know. It just doesn't sit well. I think with kind of just the message of and doesn't give you an identity as a team. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's odd placement too. It's not like okay, we get to the goal line, we're gonna bring. It's like randomly throughout the drives, all right, go in. It's kind of like what are we doing here? So. I don't know what they're working on. It's really interesting that you're seeing this like late in the season like this because usually by this point in the season, everybody has kind of an understanding, but it still seems like we're kind of experimenting. Yeah, it's very spotty. Um, it's just weird. Uh, Nick Muse is, I wrote this down, out for the season with some kind of knee injury. The torn ACL. Torn ACL, okay. Um, that's what it looked like immediately, but... Hated for him. Yeah, it sucks. He went to make a cut Saturday and just... Early on too, right? Yeah, pretty early. Um, and instead of him cutting a defender down, his knee cut him down. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's unfortunate to see. We hope he gets better. Um, he won't get to play against his brother, by the way. You know, Tanner Muse is Clemson. We're yep. looking forward to that matchup. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be out for that one. Um, and Josh Fan broke a bone in his hand. Yep, so he'll... Saturday. Yep. Um, there's what are they ruling him out for? How long now? They're seeing if he'll be available at the end of the year. Is okay. it? I'm trying to figure out his right hand or his left hand. Uh, I'm not sure. From everything I've seen, it's just hand. Yeah. Because um, if this is right hand, he won't be able to tuck the football. That's what kept Hunter Ruffer out. It's still only Monday night. So as you're listening to this Tuesday, Muschamp should be making a oh, comment yeah, right. at some point tomorrow, probably right at 12:30 when he takes the podium on updating everyone on the Muse situation and the Van situation and all the other injuries and ailments of the whole team. The injuries on this team, I think it's two years back-to-back. Back. It's ridiculous. This was actually a little insider. I know Leia does yoga. She works with, like, the tennis, the tennis team and all the other things. And uh, she's like, I'm trying to, like, push it on them to, like, start doing yoga because the, all these injuries, yoga has proven to kind of uh, help from yeah. uh, that happening. So she's trying to get that going. So, Muschamp, if you're listening, go ahead and call her up. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, someone wrote a story last year um, on one of the South Carolina journalism, uh, school journalism sites about that particular yoga instructor, how the tennis team does yoga, like, every, all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, not a, I've heard plenty of football players who do it and feel like they're more flexible, and especially baseball players and pitchers. Oh, I know with that. Their, yeah, with the flexibility of, like, especially, like, in their hands and their fingers and your elbow and your whole arm. And guys just say they feel so much better after doing it. Like, they feel a little looser and you improve your flexibility. Um, it would be interesting to see how in the next, like, I'm kind of interested that that hasn't already taken a huge storm into football yet. But I think over the next, like, five to ten years, like, I mean, one coach does something and it works, the rest of them about yeah. to do it. So, and, I mean, to those other coaches' credit, like, one guy does something that works, like, how about try that out, idea out for yourself. Um, nothing nothing wrong with taking something good from someone else. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's tough to see the two of them go down. I think Muse is going to be kind of – Van has had his name called a couple times every game, I feel like. Um, but Shy Smith is supposed to be back soon. Hopefully. When did you figure out that he was going to be hurt? I was Shot looking. Smith. Yeah. So I think they announced it Friday that he was officially going to be out. Um, I didn't think he was going to play anyway. Okay. From kind of the comments that Muschamp made last week. But I think it was a business decision, right? You're playing Vanderbilt. Um, and whether Will Muschamp thought of it this way or not, I don't know. I can't speak to him. But if I'm sitting in his seat. All right, this week we're playing Vanderbilt. We can probably beat Vanderbilt without Shy Smith. 
we trust our, our offensive line and our other receivers to make plays. And you know what? Shoot, we'll start Brian 14 times. Yeah. Um, and, or do we leave him out or play him and he gets hurt and then we lose to App State next week? Because I'm for sure getting fired then. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how how he went about that decision, but uh, that's how you're thinking. Yeah, I think it was more of a business decision, maybe to uh, hopefully Shaw's not hurt. You know, I don't want to see him play hurt either. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think that he was necessarily. I think if this was maybe Georgia or Florida, you probably think about playing him. Is kind of the feel that I got from the program. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he'll be back against App State, and they'll be he'll be fine hopefully. Um, but yeah, Van is out with broken hand. I don't think it's going to hurt them nearly as much as Muse because we've seen South Carolina run uh, two tight end sets a lot this year um, in their run game, and Dowdle is supposed to be back next week. Um, I haven't got seen any word on Feaster yet, who went out Saturday, was in and out. Yeah, but why you, well, yeah, hopefully he'll be back. But Fenwick really stepped up. He, he sure did. 18 carries for 103 yards. When did some research from him? He's from Florida. He's six foot one, 230 pounds. So he's but he's quick. Yeah. He can move, and he's like, I was like, this is a deep running back room because, like, okay, Dado's out, then you go Tavian's out, then you get Fenwick who can slide in there, and what is it? Denson. Denson. Denson went down at one point. And so it's like, okay, so those are three guys. Y'all still just popping them out. So that that running back room is super deep. Kinda yeah, they are. Yeah, and you have two, you know, a great duo who have been healthy for most of the season until Dado went out last week. Um and I, I think it was smart not to play Dowdle. It's kind of the same thing I was saying with, with Shai Smith. Don't don't play Dowdle if you think there's a chance of him being hurt, especially when you have a Tavian Feaster in yeah. your roster. Um, and now Feaster, we saw him go out a couple times Saturday. He went out, came back in, and went out again. Got up limping a few different times in the game. Um, I have I looked high and low today. could not find anything on Feaster. Um, so I guess Muschamp did not say anything about him last night in his – Sunday night teleconference with the media, but I'm, I'm sure word will be up tomorrow as you're listening to this, Tuesday, today as you're listening to this, I guess, uh, at noon, uh, 12.30. So there will be some kind of word on Feaster tomorrow. Um, someone will ask him about it. He usually addresses it right at the top at 12.30. Right. So we'll see how Feaster does. I think South Carolina, is, they're going to need Tavian Feaster for the rest of the year because – Rico Dowdle hopefully is good to go, but I think you still need Tavian Feaster because with that, I don't want to say Mon Denson's a drop-off from Rico Dowdle or Tavian Feaster, but he's not the same kind of back as those two are. Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster can take over a game. Mon Denson is going to run behind his guys and hope the offensive line takes over the game. Yeah, I don't I don't think Dowdle and Feaster need as big a holes as Mon Denson as, might need, and Fenwick's still a Pretty, you know, inexperienced guy. Um, but he showed great upside Saturday. Yeah. And I, I think just having a, one of those two in your backfield, Feaster or Denson, or not Denson, um, Dowdle, at any point in the game sets a different message to the guys they're lining up against and the linebackers and D-line. You know, it's a little different. And those are two, you know, one of the better duos in the, in the SEC at running back. Um, and there's – no real drop-off talent between, you know, Dowdle and Feaster, and I think that's why you see such an even spread of the two of them this year. Um, but, yeah, hopefully South Carolina will remain uh, injury, injury 
injury-less. Yeah. I don't know if that's a word. Um, uninjured, healthy uh, throughout the rest of the season so we can see them at full impact as they go in to play Appalachian State Saturday night. Um, and then it just got announced today that Texas A&M will also be at night. And I assume if South Carolina beats both of those teams, I have not looked um, at all the other rivalry games going on after Thanksgiving. But the, the Clemson South Carolina game in here in Columbia was more of a potential to flex to uh, a night game as well. So you could end up with four straight, you know, November night games um, here in Columbia, which if you told me that my freshman year after the team went three and nine <laughs> and everyone was in the stands at noon every Saturday, uh, I wouldn't have thought necessarily it was a was an option. But um, and I think. You know, South Carolina got a little messed up playing Georgia at, at noon. I think most fans wanted that at night. Yeah. I think for South Carolina's sake, it was good they didn't play Georgia at night. Yeah. Because we've was... seen that stadium at night a couple times this season. It's unreal. Um, but, yeah, we'll move on from, from the game a little there. And, uh, I mean, it's just a good win for them. It's, they're 4-5. and five. So, you got a chance to, to make a bowl game. You got to win – you got to win next week against Appalachian State. Like, you have to win against Appalachian State if you're going to make the bowl game. And then you got to find one win with either A&M or Clemson. So, take a pick. I mean, there's a bye week in here somewhere next week (laughs) or something. I think the bye week is before Clemson. Yes, uh, yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's – you're going to have to win. You're going to have to – you're going to have to have another upset. Yep. So, there you go. Um, The next story we're going to move on to kind of broke – or I don't know, it kind of happened today. Um, a reporter from this isn't you know we like to say that we aren't just a football show, but we do talk about football mostly. Um, an article came out from the Daily Gamecock, which is South Carolina student newspaper. Um, I guess it came out today or or yesterday last night. Uh, a kid wrote an article talking about Chris Silva uh, and his. Let's see what, what he column. Gamecock basketball needs face in NBA. Chris Silva is not it. Okay. Right when I read that, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be interesting." Like, I get the first part of it. Like, would they need a face in NBA? Okay, cool, cool, cool. But then it's like, okay, they're about to bash somebody. I just didn't know to what extent they were gonna. Yeah. Um. And this, yeah, this got posted last night at eight o'clock, uh, Sunday night. So go read it if you haven't. Uh, DailyGamecock.com. There, I think it's. It's in their sports section. Um, and this kid, I assume, is probably a, a sophomore. He joined the Daily Gamecock last fall, uh, as I was looking through today, right before the show. Um, and he took a lot of heat on, on Twitter for this article, which is why we're kind of talking about it. But he goes through the article and talks about, you know, South Carolina making the Final Four and Chris Silva. This is it's student media. All right, this kid's not a 20-year professional. Um, but there are things in here, I think, if you finish your junior year at the University of South Carolina, and I'm taking presumably the same classes this kid is take will be taking, there is no way you write this. <laughs> I mean, and if you do, I mean, there's just no way. Because there are just too many factual uh, inaccuracies in here. And even though it's a column, columns are supposed to be fun and something to talk about and a little opinion based but it's not you 
you have to have fact in your column. You can't just throw in stats and use those as fact. You have to use certain stats to increase your argument, and then you kind of go back and forth. It's, you know, it's a lot. But starting with the magical 2016-2017 Gamecock basketball Final Four run, saw the emergence of a new star in Chris Silva, fine. But then he goes on to say, what does he say here? Uh, that Silva tried to prove himself to get in that Final Four roster or something. I don't. If you watch that season, I mean, Chris Silva was since day one he stepped in Columbia, was a pretty big deal for the Gamecocks. I mean, if you went to any games that season, Sindarius was guy A, Sindarius Stormwell, and I mean, I think it would be fair to say Silva was right there, you know, too with um, with some other guys, uh, Kotsar and and some Dozier others. In it. Yes, DJ Dozier. Dozier yep, yeah. Dozier there too. Uh, but it's definitely Sundarius' team, but I don't think Silva was trying to prove himself to get on a roster anyway. Um, but you go from there, and then you you got to go into uh, last year, South Carolina finished at 500 with a 500 record and lost in the first round of the SEC tournament, which is true. Um, and, yes, you do have Silva kind of leading the charge, but this is a completely different team. You can't comp- I don't think you can compare 2017's Final Four team to 2019's 500 team because the talent drop-off was drastic. Yeah. Um, and South Carolina lost A.J. Lawson at the end of last year for right before the SEC tournament, right? Yeah. He twisted or, like, snapped his ankle and what was that, the Tennessee game maybe? Uh, yeah, some, it, it was an important game. Yeah, late February game. I think it was Tennessee or Kentucky. Um, kind of late in, in South Carolina's run to try to make it uh, – Somewhat make itself somewhat relevant in the SEC, um, which has been a tough basketball conference over the last few years. And this kid, what's his name? Nate Shirley. Yes, goes through and, and you know uses some stats for Silva. And I don't, you know more of the technicalities of basketball than I do, Matthew. Um, but saying that Silva did sign a two-way contract, which means he can play for the Heat, and then when the Heat don't need him they're just going to send him to their g league team um but silva had a pretty decent summer i think i think every the thing that everyone saw was and he does say this in his article was uh they blocked number two pick john morant in summer league yeah um yeah yeah, and then uh he goes on to kind of just basically bash silva this entire article as he goes down he he says uh unfortunately for Gamecock fans Silva hasn't had that fire since where he was talking about him being uh kind of uh heavy hustle player in the final four year um in fact if I had here's where he really messed up in fact if I had one if I had to describe Silva's game with one word I would pick lazy this is and I will say this is why a lot of athletes get at the media. It's like you're calling me lazy, but you don't understand. But you can't do that too much because it's like obviously we understand the, the reporter is not necessarily an athlete because Baker Mayfield tried to use that. But it's just like really do. So then you would look therefore for like as some a player or something like that and be like, yeah, he was lazy. But if it's like if everybody else being coaches and or uh, and other players say this guy was the first one and last one to leave there five thirty a.m. It's like how is he lazy? Oh, that's just your opinion and it can't be your opinion but it's got to be accredited because otherwise you're just talking yeah saying something like lazy is uh it's not a, well it can't be it is an opinion um but you have to i mean you can't back lazy up with facts and you can have opinions but yeah. you need to be able to back them up yeah uh and you need to be able to form them and then he kind of goes on this and his quote-unquote facts were 
watching him from the stands his senior year, which, A, I don't ever include yourself watching him from the stands. If you were a reporter writing an article, no one cares about you, the reporter. Yeah. You were writing the article. That is, that is the <laughs> point of the article. Um, that's J101. Uh, looked at times, er, Silva looked at times he like he would rather be anywhere else than at Colonial Life Arena. Um, I think that's untrue. Watch, you know, if you've watched Chris Silva over his career here at South Carolina, um, I, I have not seen such a high level talent not run up the court for a fast break or give up on the play as much as I witnessed from the Gamecock senior. Um, I mean, you just. You can't, and this is the kind of things that those two little paragraphs right there, you know, if I had to pick one word, it would be lazy. And that, you know, quote-unquote paragraph of fact um, is what really got this kid in some hot water with Gamecock Twitter. And the most interesting thing was I saw writers uh, from, what, 24-7 Sports, which started as, like, a message board, and now they – do employ some journalists, and there are guys who, you know, went to a J school and have, like, legitimate articles with those uh, organizations. Um, those guys kind of go at them. was interesting. A, I didn't think – I just didn't think they would do it. Yeah. Because it is student media, and a lot of it gets a pass. But I think the problem here, in a lot of ways, is kids – people have been attacking this kid all day, right? He's a kid. You should be accountable, but you hold football players accountable for their mistakes on Saturday. I mean, I think you take the right course of action of holding a, another 19 to 20, 18 to 22 year old accountable for the work that he does, you know, with the school. Um, I don't think that's incorrect at all. But I think the bigger problem here is, as in, the Daily Gamecock never should have let this out of their house. Um, and I know they don't really have an editor who sees necessarily every single word uh, because of how big it is, the paper with the amount of staff writers they have, and they have a small pool to select editors from. But I think uh, some faculty members should have stepped down and just cut this one. Um, Because you're basically, and we were kind of talking about this before the show, Matthew, is everyone wants to be Stephen A. Smith. Right. You know, and throw hot take after hot take. And do you want to be Stephen A. Smith? Because Stephen A. Smith saw this article, he would just he would lose it. Uh, <laughs> he, he, oh my God! If he if that thing comes up on the Stephen A. Show, he would bash you about not taking the steps, and if you were taking the right steps, because he did like that's exactly I, you're getting into exactly yeah, what yeah. I'm about to say. The thing with Stephen A. is, yeah, you see him who he is now, and Stephen A. gets you know he's made fun of for name dropping all the time, which is, I mean, it's pretty funny. Yeah, but and I'm not gonna. Uh, I like Stephen A., but if the reason you don't like him is because you're, he name drops all the time, that's fair. Right. So uh, it's, a, it's a quality that's not necessarily everyone loves. But Stephen A. put in the work, and right. Stephen A. was one of the best beat writers in the country, which is why he works for ESPN. And he's earned his right to kind of spew just his opinions, and I, people understand he's in a form where those are opinions. I mean, he has a talk radio show. Uh, he's on with my guy, you know, um, God of the SEC, Paul Feinbaum, every week, or, you know, a few times a month or something. And uh, he has first take, and he does a bunch of things with ESPN, and they're all kind of in an opinion-based format. But Stephen A. has the legacy and kind of the fact-checking to back himself up, 
And I think a lot of times is young writers get ahead of themselves and try to just give out a statement and be a little too hot takey, which yeah. is a problem in media, I think, all around. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that kind of hurts people who want to actually be journalists, uh, which is sad. Yeah, because it really, as Colin Coward says, you, you get a taste of big, I think he calls it big J journalism. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, so you go in here, you say something, and then you get the, the drawback from it. And also you could say with uh, Stephen A. Smith, he has a lot of sources too. Yeah. So it's like most of the time he contacts the athlete, okay, I, this is what I've heard, so I'm going to give you the opportunity. And he also knows people on the programs and stuff like that. So therefore he can kind of make that because it's like he has it with reason, it's just not his ideas. Yeah, and... and- I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and compare this kid to Stephen A. all day because that's just unfair to this kid. And, but I think that's the problem is, like, people try to just go in for a hot take and say Chris Silva's trash and uh, he's not the guy who's going to show the Gamecocks in the NBA. Look, I don't think Gamecock fans are expecting Chris Silva to be the next LeBron James when he left the university. I mean, he, like you said in your first couple paragraphs here, he's undrafted um, rookie. So... What do you, you know, but NBA scouts uh, or an NBA team had some faith in him to sign him to a deal, uh, but he is what he is. I mean, he might be a role player in the NBA for a while, and but he's not he's not going to be LeBron James. There wasn't a lot of hype around him. And I think to, like, just attack him was, A, just wrong. I mean, but you go in, and towards the end of this kid's article, he starts talking about how it could help recruiting to have a big-time NBA star and, uh, Frank Martin's lost out on Zion Williamson and uh, Josiah James in the past two seasons. Like, you can't – you, Zion Williamson was the most recruited kid in all of the U.S., right? Because who was number one out of that class, uh, the, the class that went to Duke? Was Not, it, it wasn't RJ? It was RJ. Yeah, yeah, RJ was from Canada. Yep. So, and you look back and, like, there was very, 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 very little chance – that Zion Williamson was ever going to come to South Carolina because he didn't have to, because yeah. he could go to Duke. And why would you, I mean, why would you come to South Carolina when you can go to a team that you know you're going to be in the tournament and what they lost in the Elite Eight? Um, that was probably the worst possible outcome for a season. Yeah, the coaching, the facilities, all the specialists and stuff that are second to none at Duke. Yeah, and, and their program history is unlike any other, I mean, well, I guess North Carolina, but uh, yeah, I don't think that was fair to kind of pull up and blame Frank Martin for letting Zion get out of the state. <laughs> I mean, you take a shot at the kid, obviously, and I think Zion had, was here on a visitor time or two, but were, were you really expecting to get Zion Williamson? Um, so it sounded like it basically just, to me, this didn't belong, and this is the kind of things that, like, why people don't trust sports writers is somehow this slips through and gets on some outlet that has some credibility um, but it, it belongs on a blog. This isn't a, I mean, columns aren't blogs. Yeah. It shouldn't be, you know, and that's the difference between kind of a trained journalist and a Rookie. kid trying to write something and, and someone who thinks they want to write sports, you know, and maybe this kid does and he probably gets better. I hope he does. Good good for him. But Oh, he'll learn something from this one. Yeah, it was just tough to see. Yeah, so I want to talk about, if you haven't seen all the comments about it on Twitter yet, go look. He got ripped by What do you think that the various, gun- what was the uh, site that this came out of? The Daily Gamecock. What do you think they do now moving forward? I don't know. I mean, they can't – the kids, they're not paying the kid. You can't fire them. Um, <laughs> but the lead them as yeah, it's, it's, it's student government. A student media has a role, and their role is to give kids an outlet to publish on and create kind of a portfolio. 
Um, but I think maybe this, and I've kind of had, like, if you read their stuff a lot, from my perspective, like, I'm a, I'm, I graduate here in, like, a month with a degree in multimedia journalism, and I think releasing stuff like this from the school hurts my reputation because it's like, all right, where did you graduate from if your school is letting these kind of things get out? Yeah. And I think maybe they kind of, people, faculty advisors for the Daily Gamecock wake up take initiative and say all right hey we, we need to be checking this yeah. like yeah you do these are like this kid was probably a freshman or a sophomore he hasn't had much experience yet and while it's good you're giving him an outlet to talk you are going to have to be able to teach him these are the things you can write these are the things you cannot and this was one that you cannot yeah this is a good wake up call for them so hopefully they get this thing back in order get back here we just got that i can move them anyway seven seconds uh, okay no, you're fine. That's all good. Where you about to go next, anyhow? Uh, Georgia, Florida. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say you guys should have moved on yeah. from that yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, we're about That's to. Too long. Uh, what? You guys can start whenever. No, no, I'm no, not talking to you. Yeah. I was talking to them. I, yeah. But what you said was good. Man. It's just like. Yeah. Didn't need to be like twenty minutes. Yeah, I don't know. But it was that. good. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's Gamecock, so it's like Yeah. You know, the fact that that like That's what I can't believe is it got it, it got is out. It's ridiculous. I mean, like he, like what you said, because he's not he's never was gonna be the face of the Gamecocks in the NBA. Yeah. I mean he could potentially be that. Yeah. You know, but like but he's not gonna be. Him going like he, he was undrafted. Like, yeah. Drafted. He doesn't, like, why doesn't, would you even say that? It, was, it makes sense if you said that about Zion. Yeah. Or even, like, Thornwell. I mean, like, that's yeah, because yeah. he's been, like, playing consistently, like, not a lot, but he, like, he's not on a two-way contract. Yeah. You know? He was, like, I don't even know what you say about Thornwell. You might, a kid might have actually got killed. <laughs> oh, I would have I would have yeah, if he said something about Thornwell. Like, <laughs> that's, that's I mean it also he didn't help. Did you see the kid's Twitter profile? Yeah, I think no, it, it was did. rough. Did you see it? No, I see it. I mean no, it's, a, like, it's tough. Come on, dude. Like what did he expect from saying that? Yeah. I really wanna know. I don't know. That's the stuff that kinda of pisses okay, me off Brendan, that they do. Would you let um that's Leah, would you let her back in at the end of the thirty minutes? Like she might have to knock. Yeah, that's fine. Definitely. We'll be done. Definitely, yeah. yeah we should be done well, anyway. So. She's going to get locked out. So I'll just leave the door it. open. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. See you later. Okay. Call it. Like I said, Big J Journalism. He'll yep. be looking back at this one. All right, let's do Georgia, Florida. Yep. All right, uh, we're going to Georgia, Florida real quick. Georgia 24, Florida 17 Saturday. Um, it was a good game, so it did live up to the hype. The only like top 10, one of two ranked matchups uh, over the weekend. The only ranked matchups that included Power 5 teams. Um, so it was a good game. Georgia gets away with the win at the end of the game. I, can't, I mean, it never really felt like Georgia was going to lose. Nope. But I also felt like, I mean, I said it last week, This is we've been waiting for Georgia to explode all season, and this should have been it, and it was not. Um, I mean, you had a pretty good – you lost to South Carolina. You barely got away with beating a crap Notre Dame team, who we'll talk about in a second, um, <laughs> at home. And then – you had a terrible performance against Kentucky, and you f- kind of like follow those kind of mediocre days. It's the same things I was saying about Clemson at the beginning of the season. 
how they were just kind of going through the motions and underperforming. Georgia's been doing that all year. Um, but the thing I will say is I saw some Florida deserves to win stuff from Florida fans because of a few bad calls. Georgia beat Florida in the box score in every facet of the game Saturday. Yeah. Saying Florida deserves to win was like you had to be a blind person to, like, to just not be watching that game and think Florida's going to win. Yeah, if anything, it was like, okay, I can maybe understand a fan be like, oh, we had a chance at the end, but not like, oh, no, we deserved it. No, y'all did not. Like, no. for a thing heading into the fourth, I was like, okay, Trash might be able to pull this thing off. And it'd be like, it would have been a lucky, not a lucky win, but it'd have been like, okay, he's able to pull it off. The win, win they didn't deserve. If Florida won, Georgia would have deserved it. Yeah, exactly. Especially when, it'd be like you said, you look at the box score and it's like, wow, y'all losing every aspect of this game. But Fromm played well. Georgia's defensive, offensive line. Kind of manhandled Florida's defensive line, which yep. I said was kind of the thing to watch. Um, but even, you know, in their loss and, like, their mistakes this year, Georgia's, um, their offensive line has looked pretty much fine throughout the year. Uh, DeAndre Swift had 25 carries. That's kind of like what you want to see from your uh, when you're, you're an SEC back in general in a big-time game. Just get behind the line. And uh, I was kind of surprised he did 100. Also, you had Lawrence Cager, who's a wide receiver, number 15. Yep. He had seven catches for 132 yards. And he kind of got it lost behind the a coverage. Lot too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Fromm had a pretty good game. Um, and, I mean, this was the battle for the SEC, SEC East. It's over now. Georgia's going to Atlanta. Question. So, they play Auburn. Georgia plays Auburn later on this season. Does that count as an SEC game? Yeah, it's still all SEC games are SEC games. It doesn't matter division. But, I mean, Georgia and Florida could finish with the same SEC record. Now Georgia's a tiebreaker. Yeah, Uh, two games up. I think technically there is. Florida could still win the East mathematically. Georgia plays Vandy Vandy or someone. Um, Auburn's the only SEC game I can right now remember on their schedule it's got to be Vanderbilt uh speaking of Auburn Auburn they struggled uh with Ole Miss Saturday 14 to 20 uh you want to call you you can't be a top 12 team in the country or call yourself that or be named that and only win by six against Ole Miss I put so much faith in Auburn at the beginning of this year and I mean they're just frauds yep just a fraud team they're they're just not as good. they're they're good. I mean, don't be wrong. If they're in the ACC, they're eight zero or whatever it is. Um, and, and but you gotta you gotta smash these teams like Ole Miss if you want to be a top team in the country. Like Ole Miss is a very bad football team right now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, these are the kind of teams you should be beaten by. 30 points. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, those it's one of those bottom tier SEC West teams that really just kind of find their identity in the bottom of the SEC West. You expect them to win that one big. Bo Nix, I feel like he's had a heck of a freshman year. I feel like not a heck of one, but he had a lot of learning experiences. Yeah. I feel like by his junior year, he's seen oh, so yeah. much as freshman, he'll be straight. But right now, yeah. Also, I wonder what Gus Malzahn, how does Auburn, the faithful, feel about him? Yeah, Gus, Auburn, Auburn goes back and forth all the time. Fire Gus Malzahn, don't fire Gus Malzahn, crown him king of Alabama, fire him. You know, they go back and forth with him all the time. I, you think he'll be around for a while? No, I, I really don't. I, I thought they were going to fire him last year or two years ago, and they just um, they just keep going back and forth. And it's kind of frustrating. I love Gus. Yeah. I don't think they're going to win a national championship with Gus Malzahn, no. unfortunately. Um, and that's where Auburn, they can certainly reach that. So that should be, like, it's national championship or bust for Auburn, and that's how it should be. That's the goal. They are that kind of program. Um, so, 
There you go. I, I just don't think he's fired. Fired people, though. Willie Taggart out at Florida State. Yep. Uh, so he had like a, did you see his buyout? Like 15 or 18 million? Yeah, 17 million. $17 million buyout. So they're For willing to pay him to get out. 17 games or something. He was like 12 and 18. Or more than 17. Uh, and I don't, I don't even remember his play record. It wasn't a good one. Um, and 12 and 6. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't good. Anyway. The program was not good. Taggart, he, he left the Florida State program in a terrible place. He got it in a decent place from Fisher. I know Fisher had a down year at Florida State right, right before Tiger got there. That's no excuse. He lost more games this year than uh, he did in his last three seasons with, you know, the three previous schools he had been Oregon with. Oregon and a couple other ones. Yeah. Um, yep, and lost more than he did with those three schools combined uh, this year. That's terrible. Going back to Auburn, speaking of fraud teams, uh, we'll move up to South Bend. Um you let Virginia Tech come into Notre Dame Stadium, and it takes a last-minute PAT to beat Virginia Tech, who has not been very good over the last few years. I mean, it's just I know every it's week Notre Dame just proves my point for me. They're frauds at the beginning of the year, and they still are now. Um, <laughs> I, I really wanted Virginia Tech to win so it would knock Notre Dame out of the AP Top 25. That didn't happen. Um, but we were close, so I, I don't – I don't want to root against anybody, but I'm, I'm I root against Notre Dame, <laughs> which is sad because I grew up liking Notre Dame a lot, uh, and I like their tradition and kind of like all the things that go on around them. I think just the fact that they're such a uh, kind of a like a we don't care fan base outside of South Bend, you know, everyone's like a Notre Dame fan. Yeah. But none of these fans are ever at the games. When Georgia comes out to Notre Dame, the stadium's half red. Like, have some pride. Um, mm-hmm. There's so were you a fan for them when they run the Charlie Weiss and before then? Oh, I love the Charlie Weiss teams. Brady Quinn, love Brady Quinn. Um, and, you know, I'm going to watch Notre Dame no matter what. They actually do play a decent schedule, you know, most years in Michigan and, and Southern Cal, and they do have a few good teams on their schedule, not like some other teams uh, who are in the top four who have played no one. Um, but I don't – they can they can win not in a conference, but you gotta be undefeated. And if they join a conference, I think it should be the Big Ten, not the ACC. Even though all signs would point to the ACC, because uh, they're every other team that they have there is in the ACC at Notre Dame. Like everything other than football, basketball, whatever else is in the ACC now. Yeah, and I think they play six games in the ACC. As yeah, five five ACC games a, a year with yep. football is their deal with the ACC. Uh, I think Notre Dame football should be your focus because it's always been Notre Dame sport. I get their basketball team is really good of late. Um, but I would love to see them retract from the ACC and join the Big Ten and have it be a legitimate football team, or try to be. Um, they won't be. But uh, Big Ten football, the one Big Ten game I did watch this week, Purdue beat Nebraska. Yep. That was a great game. Um, but Nebraska's under, they're 4-5 and five now. Scott Frost has been pretty underwhelming his first two years. Uh, Do you think they'll give them out of time necessary? Yeah, I think Scott Frost is going to get two more two more years. Yeah. I think at the at the end of the season, fans are restless, but maybe seeing some improvements. Next year they're going to be restless. Fourth year they're he's done. Yeah, he doesn't improve, and I still believe he will have some success there. Uh, he's a former player from there, correct? Yes, he is a. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to say his alma mater. I don't know he graduated from there, but he went to. Uh, Nebraska and played for Nebraska, um, so it'd be fun to see Nebraska return to prominence and college football because they have 
one of the best trophy cases in all of college football. You know, they've got several national championships that they got in the early 90s and, and stuff, so they're a great football team, um, or historically, and they've got great fans, and the that stadium, what is it, Memorial Stadium? I mean, to generic football stadium name, yeah. Memorial. Uh, a lot of magic in there at one point, though. Yeah, they, that becomes like the largest city in the state of Nebraska every Saturday that they play there because they fit more people in there than, I guess, anywhere else has, um, which is pretty cool. But So hopefully you can get that UCF magic and get it going quickly. He built you. I think he rebuilt UCF in like two years, two or three. Yeah, they were like 0-12, and, and then they went to 12-0, and 0 and uh, won some big games there, beat Auburn once, and yeah, it was. I think also one thing you were talking about, the trophy case, back whenever he probably went there, it was like Nebraska was like the school. Oh, it, you know? yeah. And then now, like, guys, okay, Nebraska comes in to go recruit a kid, and Ohio State comes in, Clemson comes in. Ah, Nebraska like the second tier almost to an extent. Yeah, Nebraska's not who they used to be. Um, and, I mean, their facilities are – I've actually toured Nebraska. What? Yeah, I happened to be in Omaha uh, for a college world series a few years ago, and I drove over to Lincoln and kind of checked it out. But – yeah, incredible facilities. They've got a weight room that was given to them by Nadamican Sioux or donated to by What? Yeah, it's really cool. Um Prince Alcamara went there too, right? Yeah, and they've got a they've got a great kind of just feel around their their stadium. Um they didn't have the grass down when I went, they were redoing it that year. But okay. so it was all like gravel. Uh which sucks because I wanted to go on the field. But either way, it, it's got a great feel to it. Um and, but they and like when you walk around there, you feel like how Nebraska used to be. Like you can, and it's open to the public. You can just walk in and look at their trophies. So oh. yeah, under their their football stadium is basically like you know it's kind of in a building almost. Um, and you can walk in one side and see all the trophies and stuff. It's really cool. Uh, quickly, AP poll is LSU, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, top four. First college football poll comes out tonight, yep. as you're listening to this, on Tuesday at, like, 5 or 6, um, whatever time ESPN's doing it now. So we'll see. I think it will probably be the same top four this week as the AP has it. I think LSU will be number one, and Ohio State will be number two, and then Bama three, Clemson four, or Clemson three, Bama four. Um, I think those are the four teams right now that deserve to be in. We'll see what happens with Penn State and Minnesota. They play each other this week, I think. Yep, 12 o'clock noon. ABC, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, so that'll be good, and that'll kind of sort itself out. Uh, that'll be interesting, so we can argue about that in the, in the coming weeks, and I can tell you how bad those four picks are because they're going to be bad. I'm already I'm already prepared to be disappointed by something. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about it coming up this week. That'll be interesting to to finally just get rid of the AP poll, and I don't think the actual poll should come out until around now anyway. So there we go. That'll be good. Recap picks of the week. Went 4-0-1. Uh, SMU pushed. Uh, so, oh, that was a great game, by the way. I forgot to write that on the, the rundown. Um, SMU, Memphis. It was, well, it was good at the beginning, bad in the middle because Memphis ran away with it, and then almost good at the end when SMU kind of came back. So SMU's no longer undefeated. They are 8-1. Eight and one, seven and one, and Memphis is uh, now is Memphis stayed ranked. So I mean, they, they've got those. It's really cool to see like those two teams, kind of like historic, like good team, like teams that have good feels around. Them. Like obviously, SMU is very historic team, um, and then you have 
Memphis. Memphis in Memphis, and they were there for game day the other day. The place was electric. They're now 8 and 1, by the way, as well. Yes. So, yes, yeah, Saturday I had Mississippi State minus 7.5. Easy. So just they smoked Arkansas 30, 54 24. I didn't think it would be that close uh, or that, that distant. I thought it would be like 14. Uh, Kansas State torched Kansas 38 10 2. That was Kansas State minus 6. Oregon, zero trouble with Southern Cal after the first half. Uh, or after the first quarter, I guess. It was close for a little while there, and the Oregon kind of ran away with it. Um, yeah, and that's that's yeah. pretty much. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out really here really quickly. There was Oregon and Utah on the same side of the Pac-12? Or they no, they are, I'm pretty sure Utah is in the south. Okay, so in that case, it looks like you might have an Oregon no. versus. Uh, no, they're not. They're in the north. Um, so, yeah, we'll get some culmination here. But Utah just beat, walk, escaped from Washington Saturday. That might have been Friday night. Saturday, Saturday's game, sometime this weekend. Uh, so they got they got away with one there. And we got some we got the biggest game of the year coming up this week. So we'll talk about all about LSU, Alabama, Appalachian State's rolling into town for South Carolina. Uh, that'll be an interesting one as well. I think two like pretty even programs as far as their football level right now. South Carolina App State? Yep. That's crazy. Imagine a kid getting recruited by App State, whoever the coach is, coming to sit there and, and like, okay, maybe USC doesn't offer you something like that.